Welcome to another great message at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I really mean it. What an honor to be with you. How many people are grateful for the church? Come on, can we just thank God? For the house of God, for the people of God, for the family of God. And how many people love your pastors? Pastors Adrian and Lee, I love these people. Can we just give it up for your amazing pastors? They really have become friends and uh, I'm so inspired. I love, I'm a church planter at heart. Uh, so I love being in these sorts of spaces, being on the journey with people, establishing outposts of the kingdom uh, in cities all around the God, all around the world. I really believe God has a heart for cities because He has a heart for people. And I love what God's doing at Anchor. It's how long since I was with you guys last? Like two years? Look what the Lord has done in that. Look at this space. Like, can we just praise God for this amazing space that He's given you? And really great days in front of you. As you see, the vision continue to unfold to the glory of God for the sake of your city. It just is such a privilege to be here, to be with you. Honestly, I was moved to tears a couple of times in worship this morning. Just a sense of the presence of God in here. I don't just say that. A sense of the, the purpose of God, that, that you're a people of faith, gathering at a time like this for the sake, you know, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's always about those who are not yet here. Praise God for those who are, but the heart of the Father, as Pastor Adrian was sharing, you know, the, the, the Father running out to kiss the neck of the prodigal son and welcome him home in spite of it all. That is heaven's posture to the brokenness of our world. And it's just such an honor to be here. I wish uh, we nearly came as a, an entire family. Actually, we we're going to be rolling deep. Uh, but I did bring my son. Can we welcome my son, Jesse? This might be about his 10th time, I think, to Southern Africa. He loves it here and never misses a chance to come if he can. Uh, in fact, I think we, got a, we may have a photo of my family that we could put up on the screen. My wife, Andy, our four kids. And this, actually, this, this photo looks ancient now. I need to update it. It's amazing how fast they grow. But we have uh, four amazing kids. Ezekiel is now 15 and officially taller than me. This is happening fast. Uh, Jesse, who's with me. Finley, our one and only daughter, who's now 12. And Sam, who is, as you can see, the life of the party. Uh, the older three were all born in Australia. And we moved when they were four, three, and one to plant a church in the heart of New York City, as Pastor Adrian was sharing. Crazy ride story for another day, but God has been good. And we are, in fact, on our way uh, to celebrate Easter with them uh, next weekend. And hopefully, please pray with us this week. We are this close. They don't even know this. So secret, I'm trusting you. We are this close to being able to announce to our church uh, the purchase of a piece of land in Manzini. So we are believing God. We're negotiating. Oh, what better way to celebrate Resurrection Sunday than to tell them? They, we, every one of our communities around the world, we're setting up, tearing down, and renting venues. So the first one to own would be here in Southern Africa, and I would love that. They've got a beautiful community center. They're loving the city, loving the people, and I just think there would be no better way, no better time, no better place to put a stake in the ground than to be part of what God is doing 
in your part of the world. So I'm going to pray. We're going to jump into the Word. I'm very glad that I wore a different shirt. Right? Since that picture was up there, I was like, thank goodness, I've got more than one shirt. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever done that, Pastor Adrian, like wear the same shirt as you wore on the news, you know. Well, Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing here at Anchor. Oh, Lord, it's a joy to be. It feels like family to be here. And so, Father, I... I pray that you would help me bring this word to life. I really do believe that what you pressed on my heart to preach today is a word for this moment, for the church, as it has been for our church. I believe it is for Anchor Church. And so I pray, Lord, that we would not only open the word this morning, but we would open our hearts. Open our hearts. We'd come this morning, open minds, ready to receive, ready to be stirred, ready to rally on the eve of the sixth birthday weekend, on the eve of Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, on the eve of so many great things happening in the vision of the church. He let us be stirred up today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You know, in 30 years of following Jesus, I've discovered something really important. And, uh, and that is that we need each other. That might not sound like a very big revelation. But as I look around our world today, it feels like a lot of people, including Christians, people who would call themselves followers of Christ in the church, have forgotten that we need each other. I'm, I'm watching in our city and in New York, uh, people trying to navigate a pandemic. People trying to navigate things that are making news all around the world, for better or worse, coming out of our nation right now. As we deal with social distancing, as we deal with isolation, as the U.S. right now is in the throes of important and difficult uh, wrestling with racial reconciliation, as we navigate the swirl of social media and the news cycle and all of these things, I've watched so many people uproot themselves from relationship, uh, distance themselves from community, or just drift away from faith entirely. And yet I was struck as we were worshiping this morning, you know, we, we said, I'll raise a hallelujah. Fear has lost its hold on me. It's one of the reasons I love to be in the house of God and around the people of God is I can declare things I need to remind my soul. I don't know what the atmosphere has been like for you here uh, in Joburg in South Africa, but fear has definitely had a hold on people in our city. <laughs> but how many know that Jesus, his blood and his body, the resurrection power we're going to be celebrating just a week from now, the gospel, which means good news, is what breaks the power of fear. In fact, the, the Bible says that God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And so this morning, if you want a title and if you're taking notes, I'm simply calling this message Community Stronger Than Fear. I want to speak to you about community this morning. You were not made to do this life alone. You know, at the moment of creation in Genesis 1, God looked over all that he'd made and said, it is good. But just a few sentences later, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. 
What strikes me about that is that although creation is good, although what God made in humanity is good, he designed us to do this life, to pursue Jesus. He designed us to do it together. It is not good, he said, for man to be alone. You and I were just never designed to do life alone. We were never designed to flourish alone. You were not designed to reach your God-given potential, which let me remind you is greater than you know, greater than you've experienced yet. I believe your best days are in front of you. While there is life and breath, there is hope, there is potential, there is more. And yet we, we don't experience that more in isolation. We experience it together. In the Western world, we idolize this idea of the quote-unquote self-made man, self-made person, this individualism. You know, but we've discovered, you know, in, call, in the calling to New York and to other cities as well, just how much in the heart of humanity there craves authentic community. And I've also realized in all these years of pastoring and building in cities that as much as we crave community, there's a part of our humanity, consciously or unconsciously, that sabotages it all the time. Anybody ever experienced that? You know, the, the Proverbs talks about a, the, the wise woman who builds her house, but the foolish one tears it down brick by brick. I feel like that's how some of us relate to our community. We're tearing it down, sometimes brick by brick. And yet in the wisdom of God's design, we were born for community. And if you're taking notes today, I, I want to unpack a little bit. We speak a lot about community in our church. We, we, we call each of our locations, a lot of churches would call them campuses, but we call them communities because we feel like that's what we're really trying to build. Amen to buildings and spaces. And I love all of that. But to me, the heart of what we're trying to do is community. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to speak about, if we're going to experience and frankly build together the kind of community that's stronger than the fear that's in the world, then I think we need to remember that community is the essential form of the church. Community is actually what it's all about. You know, if you boil it all down, I love all the expressions of the church. I really do. In fact, I have a conviction. In our city, there's so many different, there's bigger churches and smaller churches and different styles of churches, churches with different emphases. And I think that's good because actually the, 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 the church is described as the body of Christ. And my body has different organs, different parts. They look different. They do different things. They're supposed to be different. One body, when one part's hurting, the whole body should be experiencing that together. And yet different forms, different functions. I, I think it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. And yet underneath it all, when you boil it all down, I believe the essence of the church is community. I want to show it to you in Matthew 16, 18. Very famous verse where Jesus actually says, he says, I say to you, he, he's asked the disciples earlier, you know, who do people say that I am? And they say all these things. And he says, the question he's really asking, who do you say that I am? Which is the big question, right? It's kind of the question of Easter. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the, you're the Christ, the Messiah. And he says, well done. And then this is what he says. He says, I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. This is the New Living Translation. 
And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, another translation says. Very famous. Interesting, because he's actually at a place. I've been there in, in Israel that was called the gates of hell. It's literally like this big cave of water that went down into the ground. All of these God, uh, kind of gods, lowercase g, where sacrifices and things would happen in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus literally saying, the gates of hell, all of this will not prevail against the thing that I'm building. But you know, when he says, I will build my church, we have a little bit of a struggle a couple of thousand years later. And knowing what Jesus was talking about, when he said a word, it's like, goodness, Paul, we're at church. You don't lecture us on what the church is. I'm here. <laughs> Give me a break. No, well, just for a minute, let's assume we don't necessarily automatically know what Jesus meant when he said church. Because a few thousand years later, I've noticed that when I say church, we've loaded up a whole lot of meeting, not necessarily bad, but there's all kinds of things that people think about when I say church now that Jesus' hearers wouldn't have understood. In fact, he didn't use the word church. You know, this didn't all happen in English, right? The word that he actually used was, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia. Now, the tr a translation of this, listen for what's, what's in common with all of these translations. The ecclesia is a gathering, a company of believers, a people, an assembly, or a community. What do they all have in common? People. They're all about people. Every aspect of the definition of what Jesus said he was building, I will build my people. I will build my community, assembly, gathering, a company of believers. It's all about people. You know, uh, centuries later when they translated into English, they made up a word from a German and Celtic word that they brought together. And they made the word church out of two words that were both about physical places of worship, circular pagan places of worship, actually, sadly. And so no wonder thousands of years later that when we say out in the world, we say church, people think we mean a building. <laughs> Was Jesus saying, I will build my capital campaign and the gates of hell? No, and nothing wrong with having buildings. I mean, I'm hoping to announce one in Manzini next weekend. Amen to that. But that's not the essence of the church. Amen. That's not the essence of the church. He wasn't talking about buildings. He was talking about a radical community of faith. It's the essence of the church. And what did the church do? Acts 2 is one of my favorite passages. In fact, when we started our church, it was so small, we fit around a picnic table in Central Park in the summer of 2010. And we read our way through the book of Acts. And this is what struck me when we got to Acts 2, 44. It says, all the believers, listen, were together. Imagine this is a description of Anchor Church. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Daily church, that's next level right there. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So it's in the homes and it's in the temple. They're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And listen, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They gathered in community, larger expressions of community, smaller expressions, formal expressions and informal expressions. Food, amen to that. I love food. I don't know if you've read the Five Love Languages book, but I want to I wanna propose there are six. Food is my love language. Can I get an amen? Anybody out there think food? Anyway, it's my love language right there. See, we run the risk in the midst of a global pandemic and social distancing of forgetting that following Jesus is not a, so, a solo mission. 
that we weren't meant to do it alone. In fact, if I could say it this way, I think it's a pity that we even use the, t- the term social distancing when what they intended was physical distancing. And I understand the reasons for that. Plenty of you know, medical professionals in our church trying to keep people safe and amen to that. But unfortunately, what we actually did a lot of times was not only physically distanced, but socially distanced. Relationships have broken down. Fear has come in. People are all kinds of mental health issues. Suicide hotlines are through the roof in the States. Um, addiction through the roof in the States right now. Divorce and abuse is awful. And so in times like these, maybe especially in times like these, we need to remember we need each other. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. In fact, Proverbs 18.1 is pretty strong. It says this. It says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. We got to be so careful that we don't isolate ourselves. Now, thank God that we live in a day when there are people watching this message online, right? When, when, when even physically distanced doesn't have to be the same thing as socially, relationally isolated from the community of faith. Thank God. That's a beautiful thing. We ought not take it for granted that we're able to stay connected even in a time like this. But isolation takes a toll on people. No wonder it's used as a punishment. If you're put in isolation in prison, that's intended to be a cruel form of punishment, right? It's a retribution. You and I were not designed for isolation. And I want to rage against wisdom, seek my own desire. You know, I I just think we need to remember that we, we need each other. And the second thing this morning is that community strengthens and protects us. Not only is, is community, the ecclesia, what church is all about. And you're in a place where, you know, I'm kind of just reaffirming who you already are. This is not some new revelation that I'm preaching this morning, but it's good to be reminded that we are a community. And what does community do? It strengthens and it protects us. Hebrews 10, a good verse for this moment in our history. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what strikes me about that is a couple of things. Twice it uses the phrase one another, one another. Let us Spur one another on. That's how it happens. How do we spur each other on toward love, it says, and good deeds, encouraging to make a difference in the world around you? It's the one another. It's the community that does that. It says encouraging. This ought to be a place of encouragement. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, wherever you've been, wherever you've come from, this can be a place where you can come in and the good news can meet you right where you are and you can receive courage, strength for the journey. But in the middle, it says not giving up meeting together. There's some relationship between experiencing the blessing of the one another and still finding ways, creative ways, distance ways, RSVPing. Who would have thought in our day we'd ever have to RSVP for church? But whatever it takes, I don't even care. I was frustrated for like a week and I was like, Paul, this is not the end of the world. Like we can do this, right? What do we have to push through? Some pretty minor inconveniences, right? In the scheme of things to experience life and community together. You know, I was uh, away with a group of pastors a little while back in Montana, 
and about the opposite of New York City. Let's just say that. Fly fishing and doing, you don't fish in New York unless you want to catch something radioactive. Ah, and I uh, had this group of pastors together. And one morning I felt like the Lord put Galatians 6.2 on my heart for them. I just shared a little devotional. All sitting together as peers, all leaders of different churches around the world. And, and it says this in Galatians 6.2, it says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. I got to thinking about what it's like. We sat around the fire that night. I said, what is it, what's it like when we share each other's burdens? There's sort of a mystery, and I had never really thought about it uh, in, the, in its fullness. As I started to think, well, you know, if we got together, if Pastor Adrian and I got together and we share each other's burdens, I share what's going on with me and what we're going through and how it's been to lead in this season. He does the same. Something mysterious happens. You, you've experienced this. When you've shared your burdens with somebody, somebody else, your burdens feel lighter at the end, don't they? There's something about, I'm not the only one. I mean, sometimes as pastors, we need to know, you know, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a terrible leader. There's nothing I'm facing that is completely unique. You know, it's challenging. It's not easy to be a leader. It's not easy to, you know, to build the church. And I'm encouraging that my burden feels lighter. But you know what's mysterious? I was thinking about the other person. Do they just take on that whole weight? I feel better and they go home. Like, oh, no, something happens. Somehow, if we share our burdens, both of us go home lighter. Isn't that a mystery? How does God do that? Because again, it reminds me, we need each other. Somehow, as we share each other's burdens, the burdens just become lighter. No wonder Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two, two people lying close together can stay warm, can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? One, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. A lot of people experiencing that in our world right now. But two can stand back to back and conquer Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. To me, that's always spoken of Jesus at the center of every relationship I have with someone else. He's that third strand, not easily broken. And the, the key word here again and again and again in Ecclesiastes is, is alone. That we're most at risk, we're most vulnerable, that we're, we're cold and lonely and it's hard to get up again when we're alone, but we don't have to be alone. Community strengthens and protects us for a moment, just like the one our world is navigating right now. Number three is community fosters unity. One of the things I've noticed about community is that it, you know, it actually contains the word community in English contains the word unity. There is something about community that builds unity. But I actually think that unity might be one of the most misunderstood concepts in the kingdom. What is unity and where does unity come from? A lot of times when we're talking about unity, what we really, what we really mean is uniformity. And I actually think the work of the kingdom takes us through hard conversations, hard things, challenges in our relationships to have true unity at the end of it. You know, true community actually doesn't shy away from the hard work of redemption. Let's face it, we're all different, right? Different backgrounds, different walks of life, different perspectives. But true community presses through all of that to experience unity together. What, is, what does unity look like? There's so many ways that I could approach this. 
So many ways I could paint a picture of what unity looks like, but I'll just speak from my own perspective as a pastor leading in a context like New York City right now. So as you no doubt have in your news feeds, the nation that I now call home is in the throes of some of the most significant uh, cries for racial reconciliation in its history. And here I am as my wife and I, white couple, I'm born in Australia, and here I am pastoring a deeply multi-ethnic church now, 67 nations and counting, and I feel completely unqualified <laughs> to lead for such a time as this. But how many know that uh, it's God that leads us if we would look to him? How many know that it's not me or my earthly wisdom or my training or my leadership capabilities that's going to get us through any of these things and see true hope and true healing and true reconciliation? It's Jesus. It's what we were declaring here all already this morning. He is the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. The gospel is, in fact, the hope of the world. And so, you know, I want to acknowledge something obvious here, but in humility, I just want to point out, you know, I'm, I'm no expert on the history of race around the world. I know it looks different in every place. It was different for me growing up in Australia, our own history, pain and brokenness. It's different in the United States, different again in South Africa. But, you know, I will say this, leading a church at a time like this has been a huge privilege for me, but a learning curve. I decided, you know, having not grown up in the United States, I was overdue for learning some of the history of our nation, painful history, actually. And so I started to do a series of interviews. I did them on Zoom because pandemic, <laughs> but I called them conversations for change. And I didn't have these interviews for me to be the expert. I was the student. Uh, but I interviewed people of color in our church from different parts, not only of New York City and the US, but actually around the world. Some of the people of color in our London community and our Manzini community. And I was determined to learn some new things, to ask some dangerous questions. I was determined to have uncomfortable conversations and not you know, pretend that unity is, can't we all just get along? But help me sit with you as Jesus did. Help me bridge these gaps as Jesus did. Doing the unthinkable, like ministering to the Samaritan woman at the well. You know, that the, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Let me learn some things. And what I discovered is that real unity doesn't ignore diversity. It doesn't paint over diversity. But in fact, real unity embraces diversity. It's like, you know, and I don't just mean racial diversity, I mean every kind of diversity, but that too, because doesn't Revelation say that at the end, he saw a crowd before the throne of the Lamb that none could count from every tribe and every tongue. We're all supposed to make it. No one's supposed to be left behind. I'm sorry that this, this is running deep for me at the moment, but I believe there is an important cry in the heart of the nations right now, and the church has got to be the church. And the gospel has got to be good news to every people. And the church embracing with a posture of humility to come to the table for real healing, real reconciliation, real conversation. We have a chance in our day to do something different that our children and our grandchildren would have a different day. You know, Luke eleven seventeen says, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. But community doesn't always come easily, does it? It's not always smooth. It's not always automatic. In fact, 
Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And all I'll say from my recent experience is this, is that it sounds great to have iron sharpening iron, but man, do the sparks fly. <laughs> sounds great. It sounds great until the first one of those interviews goes sideways and I hear a hard truth and I see something in my blind spot and I realize, Lord, help me. Help me grow. Help me learn. Help me change. Help us have something precious of your kingdom here on earth for the sake of eternity. I'll give you one more. Number four, community requires care. We often think of community in terms of what it can do for us. And that's right. That's a part of it for sure. I mean, we just celebrated a membership moment where some people have said, count me in. And, and I bet a part of that decision was you know, looking at all the amazing things that, that Anchor Joburg, you know, can, can invest into your life and relationship and faith and community. And, but it's also, you know, there's also this invitation in a moment like this to call the church home that we have not only the opportunity to receive, but we have the opportunity to make a contribution. I believe there's not a single person in this room today that that has come into this place without something that we all need here. Like, we need you. We need your gifts. In New York, we talk, talk about giving generously of our time, our talent, and our treasure. Whatever that is for you, you have something to give. And, and you know, we talked about the church being the community. In other words, it's a living organism. It's not just an institution. It's not, it has services, but it's not just a service or an event. The church, listen, I'll say it this way. The church is a people, not a place. A body, not a building. A movement, not a monument. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. You know, I read Hebrews earlier that talked about not neglecting the gathering together or the meeting together. And I got to thinking about what does it look like when we neglect community? What if, what if the community you're a part of is not only an opportunity to be blessed, but also to be a blessing? What if the community that you're a part of needs your contribution to flourish, to be healthy and to reach its own potential? Neglect. I was thinking about that word neglect. If you take it out of that verse for a minute, neglect is a, is a loaded word, isn't it? I mean, if you neglect a pet, if you neglect a child, that's very serious, right? What does it imply? I mean, I'm not trying to give a dictionary definition, but it implies that you had responsibility, you had authority, you had, you had the potential to do good, and, and you didn't fulfill your responsibility, and something or someone suffered as a result. What, what if there was some element of that word that could be true for our community as well? What if, what if I've got to be careful to not neglect, to not, to not minimize the contribution or the, the difference or the care that I could provide? It's so easy for us to look around. I don't know about your personality, but I can get so easily intimidated and think there's, more, there's people more talented than me or more outgoing than me. Right? Can't we all just look around and think, well, it seems to be fine and miss the possibility, miss the reality, frankly, that your contribution is actually essential. Now more than ever, it's, it's essential. Am I, here are some questions you can ask yourself, even in this time. Am I caring for the community of faith that God has planted me in? Am I caring for it? Am I praying for it? Am I, am I investing in it? Am I just doing my part? You can't do everything. None of us can. But you know what we tend to do is we think, oh, it's for the pastors. Well, heaven help us. They're like two humans. <laughs> 
You know, actually, Ephesians 4 says the gifts are given, like what I'm doing right now, teaching. It says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I used that verse last time I was here and talked about how all the believers in the book of Acts were together. It's for the equipping of the saints. It's for you. You have a ministry. Congratulations. You have a part to play and it's essential. I imagine that there's probably not a church around the world right now that isn't feeling the impact of the times that we're in. Just about every nation rocked by the effects of the pandemic and the shutdowns. And I'm constantly on Zoom and calls with friends and encourage them in different nations and different places. And uh, our context in New York City, they estimate that a million people have lost their jobs. And the low estimates are 500,000. The high estimates are 3.5 million people have left New York City that might never come back. It's a crazy time to be leading right now. As I was praying a few months back, and God, how do we lead in times like these? How do we, God, give us wisdom. We've never been here before. Talk about unprecedented. It was like the overused word of 2020 was unprecedented and pivot. Every leadership conference was about pivoting. I felt like, I'm like, what am I dancing? This is so much pivoting. Every time you think you make a plan, the government announces something else and it falls apart again. Great. Make another plan. Make all the plans very flexible, I guess. Write them all in pencil. That's what I felt like leading the last year. What in the world? And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, are, you're leading your family, you're leading a business, whatever it is, leading a part of the church maybe. But as I was wrestling with God, how do we approach this time? What do we do? This is what occurred to me. He reminded me of all things of when I broke my leg many, many years ago. I'd just gotten engaged to Andy. And I'd like to tell you the story is, well, the short version of the story is I broke my leg on a snowboarding trip, but that would be dishonest because you would assume I broke it while snowboarding when in fact, I broke it on a break from snowboarding while in a children's playground, uh, which is not nearly as cool of a story uh, because I was attempting to get up onto a slide. I lost my footing on the ice. I kicked a wall and spiral fractured both bones at the knee and at the ankle. It was brutal. And so, I mean, I had a cast on my leg for months. It's a great way to make an impression when you're just newly engaged. And now you're on a, you know, you're on crutches and you know the, the hospital gown that made a real impression too. Ah, but she stayed with me, praise the Lord. <laughs> um, but you know, when I finally got time to, to get the cast off, I'm going somewhere with this. Two things stood out to me, and the Holy Spirit reminded me of them as we were trying to lead through this pandemic. As I got the cast off, two things were apparent to me right away. I don't know if you've ever broken a bone, but I had this cast on for a while. And when he took it off, one thing happened right away. I had shorts on that day. And I was like, <gasps> and he's like, what? I was like, my leg, it was so skinny. And I've already got skinny legs, like pasty white. It's awful. But I mean, it was really bad. It's like, I'm never going to wear shorts again. Is what I thought as I looked down. It's like, what in the world? And he said, it's normal. It's atrophy. Your muscles have just shrunk through disuse. You just need to use those muscles again and they'll come back. The second thing that happened, he's like, I just want you to stand up for a minute. You know, I haven't stood without, you know, the, the cast helping support the weight or without crutches for a while. And when I stood, he saw the look on my face, like a little bit of a wince from pain. And, and I said to him, maybe I need to stay off, stay off it a little while longer. And this is what he said to me. He said, actually, he said, you need to push through a little pain. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, he said of course, there's a limit to this. But, but he said, you know, that pain sends a signal to your body that healing is needed. 
And actually, every time you push through a little pain, your body's going to strengthen that bone to where that, bone, that broken section will be the strongest part of your leg. And the, I believe the Holy Spirit called it to remembrance for me last year as we went through the breaking and the crushing and the confusion of this, this kind of 2020 season and all that the last year or so has brought in the U.S., not to mention elections and all the rest of it. Is I believe the Holy Spirit was simply saying to me, Paul, two things. Use that muscle and push through a little pain. And you, the church, the body of Christ, will be stronger than it's ever been before. I actually believe, you know, if we, if we don't push through, if we don't put in the work, if we don't you know, do the things that require care, I don't believe we're going to see the church be all it could be if we would allow it to be. This moment, this confusing, disorienting, upside-down moment in the history of the world, in the history of the church, could well be a defining moment for good, for the gospel, and for the strength of the church. I want the worship team to come join me. I'm going to pray in just a second. But I, I want to read one last scripture, and then I want to pray over you. And I, look, I pray this message is, you know, being encouraging for you. Because I, I believe, you know, this is, this is how I would say it. Community is a choice. Community is a choice. And frankly, it's a choice that we just need to keep on making. This is, this is how Ephesians 4, I mentioned it a minute ago, verse 11. But verse 16, just after talking about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, this is what Ephesians 4, 16 says. It says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Did you hear that? We all have a part to play. It says He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part, listen, your part, says, does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. I said it already. We need you. Anchor needs you. Doing your special part to help the other parts grow. But listen to what the fruit of this is. It says, so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Healthy? Wouldn't that be a great description? Somebody says to you, I'm thinking about going to a church on Easter. You should come to my church. Well, Anchor, what's, what's it like? Healthy, growing, full of love. Wouldn't that be a beautiful, I think that's an accurate description, actually. Wouldn't that be a beautiful description of the church? Healthy, come on, growing, yes. And most of all, isn't this what our world craves? Full of love, full of love. That sounds like a church I want to be part of. It sounds like the vision of Anchor Church. And, and um, I want to pray, my time's gone, but I was struck by this song, actually, that we were singing earlier. And this is, I think, what got me so emotional. <laughs> got me off tilt right before I came up. <laughs> I was thinking about the reality of these lyrics. I'm going to extend an invitation in a moment for you to begin a relationship with God. Or perhaps, you know, once upon a time you followed Jesus, you would have called yourself a Christian and somewhere along the way you lost your way or chose a different way, something happened and you just recognize, I need to come home. I need to make my peace with God, get right with God. The beautiful thing is we already declared the truth of these words. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. That's my experience. He chased me down fights till I'm found. 
and leaves the 99. That's speaking of a parable where Jesus says that the, the good shepherd leaves the 99 safe to go after the one. You might be the one today. God rejoices in, in those who are found, but his heart yearns for those who are not yet found. So I couldn't earn it. I, and I don't deserve it. That's the fact. You know, we can't earn our way. No good works, no good, good deeds. We can't earn our way. It's only the blood of Jesus, His body broken for us, His blood shed for us, paying the price for our sins could make us right with God. And so you give your love away, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. He calls it reckless in the song because it seems crazy. The Bible says, while our backs were turned, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God so loved the world that He gave His Son. I wanna pray that over you this morning. In fact, I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. And I believe there are some in here today, in this service, hearing the good news of Jesus, hearing a vision of community, what Jesus desires to build in the church. And, and some of you need to have an encounter with the overwhelming, never ending, the reckless love of God, the kind of love that would step out of heaven into earth, take on flesh in the form of a baby, live a sinless, perfect life, and yet die on the cross to pay the price with His own blood for my sin and for yours, that we could be sons and daughters, made right, our sins washed away, our past forgiven, a second chance, born again, we call it, like a whole new life in Jesus. That's the good news, friend. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if today you're here in this service and you say, I need Jesus today. I'm not just talking about a Christian that's had a hard work week. I mean, no, no, you, you here today, you recognize I need to get right with God. Then can I pray for you right where you sit? And people do this all the time here at Anchor, but while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wanna know who I'm praying for, who today is reaching out to the God who already reached out to you on the cross. If you say that's me, I wanna ask you to do one simple thing before I pray. Would you just lift your hand up in the air I'll see it and then you can put it down again. I see you here and here, here and here, here and here and here. Is there anyone else today that would raise a hand and say, that's me. If you haven't already raised your hand, but you know you should today. Man, he's a good father. Yeah, I see you over there as well. Wonderful. Well, this is what we're gonna do. I see all of those hands. I see someone here as well. I don't know if I already pointed you out. In fact, I wanna make sure I didn't miss a single hand. If you raised your hand while eyes are closed, would you just raise it up for me one more time? Where were you today? Yes, yes, yes. Lots of hands. Thank you, Jesus. See you here too, sir. Thank you. This is what we're gonna do before Pastor Adrian comes and gives us some instructions and closes the service. I wanna lead you in a prayer. You can put your hands down. And maybe you've never prayed before, but I'm gonna pray this prayer just one phrase at a time. You can repeat it. The whole church will pray along with me, but make this prayer your own today as we get our hearts and our lives right with God. Let's pray these words. Dear Heavenly Father, come on, every voice. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for sending Jesus to die on the cross and to conquer death, to pay the price for my sin so that I could receive life. Give me strength, Lord, to follow Jesus all the days of my life. Jesus is my Lord, my Saviour and my King. I'm a Christian. In Jesus' Name, Amen.
and amen and amen. Can we give a great round of applause to those who raised their hand today as Pastor Adrian comes?